Welcome back into The Voice of Reason. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Always a pleasure to have you uh, with us. Really excited to have this guy back on the program as we get our monthly update. Not from Washington, D.C., as we are back in the home state, uh, back on the campaign trail and trying to get everybody active to get out to vote in less than a month away. Can you believe that it's already there? Excited to have on from the 5th Congressional District from the great state of Ohio. It's Congressman Bob Latta with us again. Congressman, how are you, my friend? Good morning. How are you? I am good. It's always good to chat with you. We love our monthly chats with you. There's a lot of stuff to talk about here, obviously, and I want to get into some campaign and election stuff here in just a minute. But while you guys are out of Washington, D.C., there's still a lot of things going on. We've been watching the economy. We're still floating about 9% inflation or beyond. The Federal Reserve looking at raising interest rates again. We have gas prices that are starting to climb again. I'd, uh, you would think during election time they would at least pretend to make the economy look good. But right now, I think there's a lot of angry people that we can't purchase a lot of stuff at the grocery store or fill up our gas tank without paying an insane amount of money. Well, you know, you're absolutely right, because yesterday the numbers came out from the Congressional Budget Office and looking at the, we're looking at what the deficit is going to be this year. And it's going to be $1.4 trillion. Again, that's $1.4 trillion. And a big part of that number is going for if it goes forward with Biden's, uh, you know, uh, ten thousand or twenty thousand dollar, quote unquote, loan forgiveness uh, for student loans. And uh, so, you know, that number has gone from. But they first of all, the administration didn't even know what the number was when they announced this whole idea. Then the next thing is they were at three hundred billion. Then it's about four hundred and thirty-six or four hundred eighty-six billion. And the Wharton School says it's about a trillion dollars. So, you know, right off the bat, you see that number. Then you see that the mortgage rate for the 30-year is at 6.81%. So all of a sudden, the housing market's slowing down, and that means the building market's going to slow down, and everything's going to start slowing down on that end because, again, people can't go out and buy houses. And uh, when you think of that, uh, you know, you and I have talked in in the year 2030, that we're going to be paying a trillion dollars just to pay interest on the national debt. So all of this is all coming back with massive Democrat spending yeah. without paying for it. And last year, that $1.9 trillion bill that they passed through without a Republican vote, that uh, that's, you know, that's going to hurt Americans into the future. And we're going to have to pay for it at some point in time. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, my generation, the millennial generation, already has a slowdown in home sales and trying to be off on their own and actually start their own family. And now we're seeing mortgage rates at potentially 7% for mortgage rates. No one's going to be able to buy a home for 7% interest. That's insane. Well, and I had, uh, before we uh, broke for the October work period back here, I was meeting with some of our community bankers in Washington from the district. And I always like to start off a, a kind of a lead question. I knew the answer was, I said, well, tell me, how's your mortgage business? And they pretty much all said at the same time, what mortgage business? <laughs> because, again, people have just it stopped. Wow. And uh, so, you know, this is, this is going to hurt everyone. And, you know, when people are going to go to the bank to get a loan, to, you know, for their, to operate their business or for a farmer to go out when they're out uh, farming, all, all of these loans are going to go up in cost. And it's going to increase what inflation which is then going to hit everybody right in the wallet so uh you know middle class america is going to be like what happened and it's just like massive out of control spending in washington yeah it is unfortunate it's really sad but yet they continue just to spend money the inflation rate continues to climb but the federal reserve when they say we're just going to raise interest rates to try and price people out of the market for it to kind of balance itself out they never have the conversation of let's go ahead and lower spending. Just a couple of weeks ago, before you guys did leave, you ended up passing the the uh, continuing resolution, unfortunately, to fund the government until 
December without a look at the the budget and the appropriations bills and what's going to happen there without actually breaking anything down. We just passed the same thing. And then on top of it, added foreign relief for Ukraine and for Afghanistan and everything else going on. We're not it, it seems like we're not taking the budget and government spending seriously right now because they just don't care. Well, you see, when you say budget, that's a, that's a misnomer to start with. They, they did not even produce a budget this year, and they, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't remember what year the last time they actually had passed a budget out of the budget committee and then forward. Then the next problem is, of course, is that we don't do our appropriation bills, and those uh, twelve appropriation bills should be done because that's how you can uh, really get into the nitty gritty as to what's in these line items. Because when you pass a continuing resolution of which. I voted against because, you know, it did nothing about lowering inflation, any uh, issue about uh, what's going on on the border with immig- you know, illegal immigration, all this stuff. Nothing nothing got taken care of. So all a continuing resolution does is exactly what it says. It just continues the spending as it is right now. And even, you know, the, a lot of times, you know, the appropriators might on our side might support something. But uh, our ranking Republican on uh, Kay Granger on the committee came right out and said she's going to. She said it, it does not do what we need to do, and so she voted against the appropriation bill or the continuing resolution. Again, yeah. it, it did not do what it was supposed to do, and and we're not doing our work in Congress. Yeah, that is very true. Last question on this one before we kind of shift gears a little bit here. But the student loan forgiveness, obviously, while they're spending more money, they're wanting to relieve student loans up to $10,000 or $20,000 for some or however they're breaking that down. But now it's being challenged by at least six or seven different lawsuits right now. From your opinion, uh, is it going to go through? Will we start seeing a write-off from the federal government or is it going to be stopped? Well, I'm sorry. We just had a kind of a glitch here, but... You know, when you're looking at on the uh, student loan stuff, here's always the big thing when you file lawsuits. You want to make sure that you've got proper standing or the court's going to throw it out right off the bat. And uh, so I know that I think one of the uh, uh, cases right now, they're going to appeal it up uh, to the next the district court uh, uh, throughout the case. But, uh, you know, this, this thing's probably going to go straight to the Supreme Court because, again, uh, you know, first of all, the president of the United States does not have the constitutional authority to do what he said he's going to do. And if you go back and look what Nancy Pelosi said last year, she said he did not have the authority. So I'm not sure how Nancy changed her tune in, in just over a year saying that the president didn't have authority to saying now he does have authority. Yeah, that's true. And if it does go to the Supreme Court, then I am optimistic it's going to be shot down because of some of the rulings that they've made, including the one from back in June where they shot down the ability for the EPA to just spend massive amounts of money without congressional approval as well. So if it goes there, then I'm optimistic this program could get shut down. Well, and again, you know, I'm a strict uh, constructionist of the Constitution. you got to read it and what it says, that's it. Yeah. And how they've been able to interpret some of these through the years, saying that they can get around uh, uh, the idea that it's the House of Representatives and the United States Senate that does what we're, we're the ones out there supposed to be doing uh, on the appropriations and the spending out there, not not a department or an agency going on their merry way. So I, I hope that we can get this thing tightened up, and also especially because once you get a ruling, on, you know, let's just say that the court would rule and say that the that the president does not have this authority, all of a sudden a lot of other areas that this uh, the executive action that's been going on could be curtailed. Sure. 
I just heard, we're talking with Congressman Bob Latta from the 5th District of Ohio. Let's shift gears to <laughs> energy, to gas prices. Gas prices are on the way back up. OPEC, or OPEC Plus, I guess, said that they were going to stop producing roughly 2 million barrels a day and uh, short the market, the global market, in that sense. The Biden administration's glorious response was, well, let's, re- let's release another 10 million barrels from our reserves which is about a half a day's worth of production that we use in consumption here in the country. So I guess that solves the issue. But uh, we're still doing this ridiculous push to electricity, and I just don't understand it. We're not producing oil here. During Hurricane Ian down in Florida, the Biden administration just asked the uh, the oil companies not to drill anywhere else to compensate, but just not to raise gas prices because they couldn't drill during the hurricane. In that time, there is still a full-out war and an assault on oil and natural gas when we're seeing the pay- the punishment at the pump with near $4 gallons of gas again. Well, you know, it also depends on where you're uh, I was just out in Nevada, and gas is $5.69. Wow. And that's, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty high. And but, you know, again, what the president and the Democrats have done, you know, they they declared their war on fossil fuels. And, you know, I always tell people, remember, go go back prior to this administration and think about during the Trump administration and Republicans controlled the House and the Senate. How often did you pick up a paper and read the words OPEC in any story? OPEC was was on the decline. OPEC didn't have any power or authority out there to try to regulate the the world prices. Because why? The United States was out drilling. And by the United States drilling, that meant that uh, we were able to to, uh, put the the United States back in the driver's seat. But as soon as the president killed Canada, the world that he was down uh, drilling offshore on uh, federal leases and the same on uh, on. Leases on onshore that uh, this is this is what the result is, and so when you uh, then look around with the president, you know, is begging you know Venezuela and begging the Saudis to increase production, but that puts you in a good bargaining position when everybody knows that you're in you're in trouble and you're begging for it. That uh, you know they're not going to listen to you, and so I think that the president went hat in hand to. Saudi Arabia not too long ago, and the Saudis said, no, no, no we're going to increase production. And what did they turn around and do with with everybody else saying, we're going to cut production? Yeah. And uh, But again, we, we can solve this problem very simply by the United States going out and drilling, because again, we were told we had no natural gas. We were told we didn't have the oil. And by uh, the technology that we had uh, developed through fracking, that all of a sudden what happens, the United States becomes, in a, any given day, the ability to yeah. or rush oil production and become the largest natural gas producer in the world. Wow, it is unbelievable. I, why we beg drives me nuts. I mean, the Biden administration came out and said that OPEC is a cartel because they're not doing what we want them to do, which is true. But then the question begs for me is why did they put ourselves in that position in the first place to be at the whim of a cartel that's going to decide our fate on how much energy we're allowed to get? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I say the American people are not just going to be paying at the pump, but also this, you know, the winter uh, uh, prices for natural gas and other uh, heat that people are going to use are going to go up. And I know that I was speaking with a gentleman the other day that he and his wife have been on a uh, gas budget plan. They pay $100 a month. And he said they just got their new budget. It's $170 a month. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, Americans aren't going to be going very much. We're going to be right back. Make sure you can keep the lights on and keep the heat on at the house. Wow. 
How scary. Now, the big push is now, of course, the electric, the EVs, with trying to uh, push more of those electric vehicles out on the streets. And I got to say, I drove in one a couple of weeks ago. One of our coworkers ended up purchasing one. It was really cool, but at the same time, we had just California not a few weeks ago during their extreme heat where they're saying we need to get rid of oil and natural gas. We need electric vehicles. We need to plug the electric vehicles into our home. But, oh, by the way, we're in a heat streak right now, and you need to back off on turning on your AC or plugging in your car because you're going to have blackouts because of the strain on the grid. That should be the telltale sign that things aren't working well, but this is still the push they have right now, isn't it? Well, and again, this is, you know, this is where the federal government should not be out there dictating what the American people drive. And I'm one, I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee. And I've said for years, if you want to drive combustible, great. If you want to drive EV, great. The federal government shouldn't do it because as soon as the federal government puts its finger into whatever it's, what you're thinking about, it's dictating something that probably can't happen the way it should happen. And in this case, again, uh, for, you know, there's a multiple steps here. Uh, I was just in Nevada and seeing uh, the only lithium production uh, facility that we have. They produce about 1% of the world's lithium there. But over 60% of the world's lithium comes from Australia, and that lithium is processed where? China. And then you have to go to Argentina, uh, Chile, or Bolivia for the other lithium. First of all, you always have to worry about your supply chain. And so, you know, you got companies out there saying, that you know, we can produce, but how are we going to get there? Is that another site use a different type of uh, production? But you know they're still in the entire and it could be two to three more years before they're even there. So then you have to go. Does the elect? You know, so you, first of all, do you have the rare earth minerals to even produce the battery? The next stage is does is how do we have the power out there? I've been in committees where I've even heard on the other side saying that oh, you only need one to two percent more power to uh, have all of our cars electric, that's impossible. I've talked to our electric generators out there, and they're, being, they're telling me they've had, their numbers are anywhere from 30 to 40%. So the next question is, where are you going to get the power from? They've, they're shutting down all the coal-fired plants. They don't, want the, you know, they don't want natural gas. So there's another problem. And so we've got to have the generation, and I'm a big believer in making and that includes nuclear. And there's all types of new nuclear types of facilities that could come up in the next several years. But again, we have to get through this whole process of uh, of the permitting. Then is the grid handled? And it works legislation to up and modernize our grid. And then when you have the grid modernized, is it cyber uh, safe with the different types of things out there? And that's legislation I've worked on that's now become law. And then you got to get it to the consumer. So I mean, it, it, this doesn't happen overnight. It's, it takes time. And this is where I worry about that, again, because the other side, they just kind of throw a thing out there and say, as you mentioned, California, oh, yeah, it, uh, don't worry about that. We're going to be uh, lucky by 2035. And then that two or next weekend saying it's going to be 103 degrees, turn up your air conditioner and don't plug your car in. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that we see that. But I'm glad you mentioned the nuclear because no one has that conversation anymore about nuclear power when, as far as I'm aware, that's one of the more efficient ones. I mean, the country of France for a while was near 80% runoff of nuclear, and they were doing great. Why we don't have that conversation anymore, I don't know. I, I thought it was, you know, maybe... I don't know. I mean, whether it was a fad or not, but the fact that that is a very efficient way to actually create energy is uh, something that I think we should be looking into a lot more. 
Well, and you're absolutely correct because, you know, the French have gone almost total nuclear now. And uh, the issues that we have in this country is, of course, oh, we don't want nuclear power. All of a sudden we start, you know, more regulations taking so long to get one permitted. And so, and then when natural gas came online, then they said, okay, uh, you know, we won't have to go through all of the process to do a nuclear, you'd be doing it with with natural gas. And now now they're trying to kill natural gas. And now you got a double whammy there. Instead of advancing on the nuclear side, now all of a sudden we have the problem of uh, that the Democrats are trying to kill natural gas. But the French, the Swedes, and also the Japanese reprocess their their spent rods, and they can they can reprocess these things maybe seven, eight, nine times. We don't, you know, what we do with ours? Well, we have to store ours on site because we can't take them to Yucca Mountain and store them out there. But what we should be looking at is is uh, reprocessing these rods and using them over again. Yeah. And then the other area, are the advanced nuclear and also the micro nuclear technology out there. I had a meeting just a couple of weeks back, and they could, you could have a flatbed truck with a with a with a nuclear type facility that would be right in your right you could bring into into an area, and instead of having rods, it's using more of a ball type of of, of a uh, uh, that's coated that would be in this processor, and you could they could uh, light up a thousand houses right off the bat with just that one truck. Wow. So you know the, the technology is advancing. But uh, the problem is we have people out there that would think that you should be rubbing two sticks together to stay warm. And, oh, by the way, as soon as those sticks catch fire, then you're producing carbon, and that's bad. Oh, you're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> oh, I love the hypocrisy from the other side of the aisle. That's hilarious. I love it. It's Congressman Bob Ladder from the 5th District of Ohio. we got a few minutes left here. I want to shift gears and talk about the election. Obviously, it's a big election coming up this year. I have heard the rumor from my congressman here in Kansas that that you guys, at least on the Republican side, are extremely optimistic of how this is going to turn out. Uh, I've heard numbers anywhere between gaining 20 to 30 seats in the House, gaining two or three or four in the Senate, having a majority in both chambers of Congress, and being able to really push our agenda and stop Joe Biden for the next couple of years. How optimistic are you, and how's your election going on out there in Ohio? Well, you know, looking uh, nationally, if you go back into the last cycle, uh, we were predicted we were supposed to have lost 15 seats. We actually picked up 15 seats. Now, uh, when you look at Democrat seats that President Trump had won, there's only seven. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, with this uh, ranked voting, uh, it's going to be tough now. To, uh, it's horrible. We, we're, we might lose the seat now in Alaska because of ranked voting to what's happened up there. So uh, maybe my numbers aren't quite as high, but uh, <clears throat> I am. Pardon me. I am confident that uh, we're going to take back the House. And by taking back the House, I, I've told people two things. We're going to pass legislation that's going to be good for the American people. However, you know, uh, the problem is we're going to have to get past the president's signature and then on a veto, which we might not have. But along with that, we're going to start having oversight of the administration. And by having oversight, Every committee in the House of Representatives will be, will be, you know, looking over the president's shoulder all the time. We've only had the Secretary of Energy before us in the Energy and Commerce Committee twice since uh, uh, January the 20th of last year. And so I'll guarantee that the American people are going to see these people all the time. and We're going to hold them accountable.
Yeah, I love that. I really hope that we do see some major numbers in the House and the Senate, which, by the way, I mean, I know you're in Ohio, obviously not your race, but uh, J.D. Vance, it's been making national attention with the Senate race there in Ohio. Uh, What's the feel on the street? What's the feel from a lot of uh, voters in the state of Ohio, and how's that race going, and do you think that he's going to pull that one off? Well, you know, unfortunately, we've seen poll numbers where he's up to, down to, or it's all within the margin of error. And uh, I know that J.D. is out going across, you know, working across the state of Ohio. Uh, Tim Ryan has raised, when I say a ton of money, it's unbelievable how much money he's raised. And so he's been, he's been in it. But uh, it's it's important that people look through this and see that, uh, you know, he's as liberal as Sherrod Brown. Uh, and, you know, he, right now the reason that Tim's running is that uh, with redistricting and all, he probably couldn't win his grocery on his side of the state so it's but it's really important because we cannot lose this seat um you know some people always say that ohio is a, a red state but uh, you know we're, we've lost um, three of our uh, last uh, uh six races we've had for the ohio supreme court we used to have a 6-1 court republican now it's 4-3 and there's we're in, there's a jeopardy that we might lose our supreme court this time wow which is that so, uh, no, I, I've always said that, uh, they always say that, like I said, Ohio is more red than blue, but we still have too much uh, twinge of purple out there. Yeah, yeah, that is scary, especially with the Supreme Court. On the legislative side, the state legislative side, uh, after some of the redistricting, how does that make up and are Republicans all right in the state legislature? Well, I think they're going to hold the House and the Senate and the legislature, you know, all of our constitutional offices from the uh, governor on down. I've, I've heard numbers now that uh, Mike DeWine's up by over 20 points, wow. uh, which is <laughs> that's unbelievable. I mean, the, uh, that that's unbelievable in a statewide break. Yeah. But uh, what, what, what is our, uh, Supreme, our, our Supreme Court, which is four or three Republicans, but our Chief Justice, who is aged out from running again, headed with the Democrats and all the redistricting issues. So, uh, like our uh, congressional districts. Uh, now, quote unquote, uh, by 2024, and they'll be doing the same thing in the state legislative races. That so, uh, this is why it's so important about these Supreme Court races. And but it's also important on the Supreme Court side is that uh, they start having a bunch of uh, uh, decisions and rulings that are going to drive business out of the state of Ohio. It's going to hurt the state. Yeah, well, in Ohio, on the nationwide front, too, Ohio is such an intricate part of some of the national politics and such an influencer. So we got to keep it got to keep it red. We have to keep the legislature, got to keep the governor's race, and then all of your races. Your race, obviously, is going to be a big one as well, and I'm excited to see you back in there uh, for another couple of years. And I'm excited to see, hopefully, J.D. Vance and others uh, move up to Washington as well. It's kind Absolutely. of Absolutely. Yeah, it's a big one. Congressman Bob Ladder from the 5th District of Ohio. We're out of time, my friend. It's always good to talk with you. Keep up the fight. I am excited to see you on the campaign trail out there in Ohio, and we got to get you back on again soon. I greatly appreciate it, and we'll talk soon.